Welcome to your Lot and Parcel podcast. Our mission is to emphasize the importance of preserving historic landmarks for future generations, mental health, physical well-being, and a safe family home environment. We value your monetary support. Here's your host, Benjamin F. Diaz. Welcome to my show. In today's program, we're talking about alpacas and their glorious natural fiber. My guest tells her story and how she come to be in the business of alpacas. Are they different from llamas? Is one question we'll be talking about. Do they make good family pets? Is another question we'll be discussing. Incidentally, she is a super host if you were to come to Salida, Colorado to stay and visit the farm. Not to mention many other areas of interest. Let's now meet this amazing businesswoman, Jane Levine. Many have said that the alpaca is an adorable animal, not to mention they're very soft and docile. In fact, to me, the touch is very much like cashmere. But I'm glad to have Jane on the program today to help us to learn more about this amazing animal. And I know one thing, everybody has a story. So please tell us your story, Jane, and how you come to be in the business of alpacas. Well, hi, Ben. Thanks so much for having me today. Um, We have an unusual beginning to starting with alpacas. Mm -hmm. I was actually looking for a property where I could have a house for my mom and dad and a house for my husband and I. Mm -hmm. So we found a little farm that could accommodate that 28 years ago now. Oh, wow. And the, the property had the agricultural zoning status. So I don't know if it varies state to state, but in Colorado, we are a use it or lose it kind of state. You have to actually maintain your agricultural businesses in order to keep that zoning in place. Mm. So we raised a few cows. We did a little bit of hay. And then my mom saw the advertisement in Martha Stewart magazine for alpacas. And that led to a wild and crazy life oh, that I could never have anticipated. How about that? So, now, yeah. how, how long has that been now? We've been doing this 28 years. 28 years. Oh, my 28 gosh. 28 okay. years. It's, it's been amazing. It's grown from just two little gelded males at the very beginning, and we quickly added some breeding females and focused on alpacas for about seven years. And then... Phil Switzer up in Estes Park imported some pacavacunas, mm. which are a more primitive style of alpaca, uh, and it's a much finer fleece. So we kind of switched over more to that, more to pacavacunas, mm-hmm. and became primarily a, a fiber-producing farm. Mm. So, what uh, how size is the herd now? We actually have 500 animals. 500? 500. <laughs> 500. <laughs> My and gosh, okay. In that number, there's probably about 30 alpacas still. Mm-hmm. And I think I have four llamas, three are rescues. One is a nice young llama that we purchased. Mm-hmm. And the rest are alpaca vicuñas. There you go. How many acres do you have to, to support that herd there? Well, we have a farm in Salida and a farm in Denver. And the Denver farm is where we had the house for my mom and dad. And since they passed away a few years ago, 
we've decided to sell the Denver farm, which is a smaller property, um, still an unusual and valuable piece of land. Mm-hmm and consolidate our herd in Salida. And Salida actually has 120 acres. The mm. Denver farm is only five acres. Mm. So quite a difference between the two, but both are irrigated farms. So we're able to maintain good quality pastures for the animals. Mm. But moving to Salida is gonna let me expand my numbers even more. Yeah, Salida. How do you spell Salida? S A L I D A. Is that right? Okay. The, the Spanish that's a, pronunciation be Salida. Salida, but. yeah. I was going to say that has a Spanish derivation, which means the way out. So if anybody needs to go visit, <laughs> go, go, you, you know, this this is your way out. Go to Salida, Colorado. Oh, my it's gosh. the next stage. The next stage. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You have a website. Tell us what, what, in fact, give us your website so that my audience can take a look at your pictures there and what you have. What is the website there? Well, I'll tell you, the website is jeffersonfarmsnaturalfibers.com, mm-hmm. but I am one of those people that, you know, of an age that updating the website doesn't mm-hmm. get done that often, sure. hasn't been done for years, okay. but you can see more current pictures on our Facebook page okay. for Jefferson Farms Natural Fibers. And so you'll see more about the pack of Acunas and some videos of shearing and some really lovely photos of what the fleece is like. There you go. Yeah. And uh, let me ask, uh, do you accommodate visitors? Uh, We do. Uh, Educating the public is one of the primary things we do. And Mm -hmm. so where most people would say seeing is believing, we believe that you simply have to touch the fiber to understand what quality is all about. One of my favorite sayings is, your hand doesn't lie. Mm -hmm. And so it really is independent of labeling, you know, the marketing behind a fiber product, you you simply need to get your hands on it yeah. in yeah. order to judge it. Exactly. I, uh, I'm well familiar w- w- with the touch of the alpaca fiber. It's, um, like I indicated, is very much to me like cashmere, um, you know, very fine. Uh, and uh, But please uh, give us uh, some history on how the alpaca come to be in the United States. Well, actually, the llamas were the first animals to be imported. And I think that was back in the late 70s, early 80s as primarily pack animals. And then quickly followed by alpacas that Mm -hmm. the importers began bringing in in the late 80s, early 90s. And of course, they were an investment livestock, you know, quite unusual and expensive early Mm -hmm. in the beginning. But they are a fiber producing animal. And that is their primary product. So, you know, in the U.S., we have more livestock shows. There's competitions uh, with the animals competing against one another for Mm -hmm. championships and whatnot. But it really is all about the fiber. So alpaca is a silky fiber, Mm -hmm. whereas merino wool, because of the structure and scale on the fiber, is a little bit grabbier. Your hand doesn't slip over Mm. the surface of merino, even though they can all have similar microns. Mm -hmm. And a micron is a unit of measurement of how thick each individual fiber is. So the finest fiber in the world is vicuña, which is a 10 to 12 micron fleece. The pack of vicuña tend to be 11 to 14, 15 microns. Mm -hmm. Alpacas can be 
they certainly come in the 12, 13, 14 micron range, but as they age, it tends to shift upwards a little bit to mature out between 16 and 22 microns. Mm. And their maturity is at about three to four years old mm. is when they hit their full maturity. The mm -hmm. uh, pack of Acunas tend to maintain their fineness. They don't coarsen up as they age. Okay. So we... Go ahead. Well, we value fiber according to the fineness and the staple length and also the brightness of the fiber. So when you mm -hmm. compared it to cashmere, mm -hmm. most people haven't been fortunate enough to touch really high quality cashmere. You sound like you have. Yeah, so, I, I have, yes. Yeah, the best cashmere is a longer staple length. It has a beautiful brightness to it mm -hmm. and it can never be more than 19 microns mm -hmm. in order to be labeled cashmere. If it goes above that, then it tends to be called mohair or, you know, just kind of a generic natural fiber. But to right. be true cashmere, it needs to be below 19 microns. My gosh. Yeah. It's a, it's a very fine fiber. Right? They come from South America, I understand, right? The uh, alpacas? Right. All camelids come from South America. And so primarily Peru, Bolivia, and Chile. But mm -hmm. also there's some alpacas and llamas in Ecuador. Ecuador and Argentina. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, basically from the Andes Mountains, I guess, which straddles all those countries, there, I believe. Uh, yeah, the Andes Mountains do. I think the Andes about uh, twelve to thirteen uh, thousand feet in elevation, but uh, they're not a pack animal, are they? Alpacas? No, not no. at all. The llamas no. are the pack animal, and exactly. you see that their their physical structure is about two to three times as big as an alpaca. Mm -hmm. And they don't have the dense fiber coverage that alpacas do. So mm -hmm. the little alpacas would get quite overheated if you tried to put a pack yeah. over all that fiber. So they're strictly fiber production. And in South America, there is a limited meat market for alpaca. Okay. You know, it's mostly what the countryside people live on. Exactly. Yeah. That's interesting to me because um, it's a beautiful animal. I, I know that. And uh, they, they do differ, like you said, from llama. Let me ask you, do they spit <laughs> like llamas? They, they can all, and like camels, they're the camelid family. <laughs> ah, okay. So they're all in the same family and mm -hmm. they can interbreed. Oh, so really? if you remember that case where the, in, I think it was Saudi Arabia, they bred a camel and a llama and oh. came up with a kama. But when you do that kind of crossing, between the different breeds, you lose the best qualities of each. Mm -hmm. So you really don't gain anything by doing mm -hmm. that. So mm -hmm. the alpacas were domesticated from the vicuña mm -hmm. and llamas were domesticated from Wanakos. Mm -hmm. So the vicuña and the Wanaka were the wild ancestors. I gotcha. Okay. That's interesting. Now the fleas, how is it um, as far as the market? Uh, what kind of a market is there for the, the alpaca fleas? Well, alpaca is quite valuable because of its long staple length, its uniformity and its brightness. Mm -hmm. And as I said, the micron range can be 16 would be, 14 to 16 microns would be royal baby, which is the best grade. And then, and baby refers to micron count, not the age of the animal. Mm -hmm. So it's all about how fine it is. But most typically in, in yarns and in knitted goods and 
clothing, you'll have a probably an 18 to 22 micron range. And mm-hmm. as I said too, it's such a silky fiber. So it's very warm, it's very insulating, but your hand just slips over it. And that's how when you go up to different sweaters, if you're traveling uh, yes. and you're at a marketplace and you want to judge the quality of an alpaca garment, slide your hand over it because, you know, by law, most countries allow blending wools into their alpaca garments. So mm-hmm. the higher the wool percentage, the more your hand is going to grab Gotcha. On the yeah. knitted fabric, if it's 100% alpaca, it'll just slip right across the surface of the sweater. Yeah, yeah. So it's one easy way to tell. Exactly. So that uh, uh, means uh, expensive, right? <laughs> Not necessarily, because oh, okay. it's all about you know where you are at the time, how high the production levels are mm-hmm. in different countries. Um, alpaca yarns and robing for the hand spinners. The price range is probably three fifty to ten dollars an ounce on average, just mm-hmm. depending on the grade of the fiber. If it's been blended with anything, gotcha. um, if the yeah. producer has dyed it or didn't done anything extra in the processing steps. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah. very affordable. Yeah, yeah. Um, I understand you're getting ready to start shearing the, the alpacas at, at at this point. Is that because of the season or how, how do you? It's a seasonal okay. situation. We like to shear in the spring when it's well beyond the risk of any late snowfalls or cold snaps and before yeah. that really begins to heat up in the summertime. Mm-hmm. So while they're a fairly heat tolerant animal, it's best to get the fleeces off of them before we get into our extended hot weather. Mm-hmm. Plus, typically, most of the animals are bred to deliver their creas, their babies, mm-hmm. in the springtime. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing about alpacas, they're induced ovulators. They have a mature follicle in the ovaries literally every 10 days. So the act of breeding is what stimulates the female to ovulate. So she gets pregnant immediately post breeding. And within 10 days, she knows she's pregnant, and she'll spit off the male and not allow any further breedings to occur. Mm. Mm. And it's a one year gestation between 11 months to one year. Mm. So we always just err on the side of, you know, not worrying until we're close to a year, if we haven't seen a baby yet. So I would imagine that's one way to find out whether the the, uh, female apaca is in her just gestation, if she spits on the milk, correct? <laughs> well, that it is called a spit check. We literally oh, oh, do that, walk that, yes, the boy okay. past the the female, and if she oh, spits wow. at him, we say she's pregnant, and we hurry him out of the line of fire so he doesn't have to go through too much. How do you like so, that? <laughs> and if and if she's isn't isn't pregnant, yes. and if she's at a point where there is a mature follicle, she'll immediately sit down and allow breeding. So mm-hmm. the management and husbandry of these animals is quite simple. It's mm-hmm. not complicated. There's very limited AI, artificial insemination in them. It's, mm-hmm. it's being done in places, mm-hmm. but it's certainly not what most people do. Most is just what's called hand breeding, you know, introducing the male to the female exactly, and yeah. letting them breed. So, yeah, I, I, I've read that uh, sometimes they can defer their gestation because of whatever the climate or, or is, is that true? They, they, can- they are one of the few mammals that can actually suspend development of the fetus 
mid gestation. So in that middle range, if there's any kind of a stressor factor, whether it's drought, low nutrition, Mm -hmm. changing locations, the fetus actually stops development for a period of a month or so. And that's why we don't worry if we go beyond that 11 month gestation, Mm. you know, just the, the dam's response to her environment. There you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The environment has a, has a bearing on it. I understand. See, what what are they about 36 inches from the ground to the uh, shoulder of the withers? Is that about? Yeah. Yeah. 36 to 38 inches on average. Mm -hmm. Um, They're about a, I'd say 130 to 170 pounds in weight range. Mm -hmm. We have our chubbies in alpacas, just like we do in all other types of animals. (laughs) Yeah. Some easy keepers, we would say. Mm -hmm. And the offspring, the Korea, they can be anything from, I'd say on average, about 10 to 12 pounds, up to 22 pounds at birth. Mm. So there's a size range in that as well. And the birth weight isn't really indicative of how well the baby will do. Mm. You know, there, it could just be a smaller mom or a smaller herd sire that was used. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that is, not a problem if they're born a little bit smaller. Yeah, that's interesting. You are listening to your Lot and Parcel podcast. Please tell a friend and support the educational program by leaving us a rating or review. We thank you in advance. We're spending time with my guest from Salida, Colorado, where she operates a 120-acre alpaca ranch. She's telling us how alpacas come to be in North America and much more. Because of their lustrous natural fiber, this beautiful animal is growing in popularity in this country. I invite you to see your farm and her flock of apacas, and you will find the link in the show notes. Let's resume our visit with Jane Levine. Um, I understand they're very clean, too. I mean, on the pasture, they have a specific place where they do their business, correct? Yeah, Yeah. they're very unusual livestock that way as well. helps with parasite management. So Mm -hmm. they have their community poop piles, we say, and it's both in the pasture as well as in the barn and corral areas. So most of the breeders and people who raise alpacas will clean up once or twice a day. So they're very, very clean Mm -hmm. animals and they don't eat around their manure either. That's Mm -hmm. one of the advantages of having that central poop pile. Mm -hmm. It doesn't contaminate the rest of the pasture. Right. or any of the other feed that might be out for them. Exactly. And, and I know they, uh, when they graze, it's not, not like a like sheep or maybe a horse, you know, where they pull out the, re- the, the roots and all that. They, they're very... Uh, no, they're um, very non-destructive. I mean, they have yes. soft toes, you mm. know, with toenails, so they don't yeah. dig up the pasture or compact it too much. Yeah. And they do bite off the grasses. They don't pull it up by the roots. And we call them kind of cafeteria style eaters. They're browsers. They will browse bushes, trees, you know, shrubs, all types of grasses. Mm -hmm. So that type of eating habit makes them less susceptible to eating a toxic plant. Mm -hmm. And maybe some other types of livestock would where, you know, they don't discriminate quite as much. Mm -hmm. Let me ask, do they make a good family pet? Well, they're very much a herd animal. So you need a minimum of three for them to be happy and secure. So we call it a pair and a spare. 
So if anything happens, you still have two together. Exactly. So that's their ideal little Mm -hmm. unit in odd Mm -hmm. numbers. So three, five, seven, you know, on up to 500 (laughs) sometimes for people. I guess so. I guess so. so. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so yeah, I guess you can't really have two. I mean, you can have you really can't have three in your backyard. You got to have a little bit of acres, at least one acre, I would think, or, or half an acre or something. Well, like I that. think our I, the lowest stocking ratio that we might have in this area would be about um, five to seven per acre. Okay. So in order to them have good nutrition from the uh, pastures, but we do always supplement with hay. Now, they're very economical to feed. So one alpaca, its dietary requirement would be one 50-pound bale of hay per month. Mm. So whereas with a horse, you would go through that one bale of hay in about oh, two gosh. days. Yeah, that's days. No kidding. That's why they're called yeah. the hay burners, you know? Exactly. My exactly. gosh. Entirely different. Um, what, what kind of noises? Could you describe the noises they make? <laughs> well, they are very quiet livestock. And so okay. they hum, they're hummers. So it's, a, oh, okay. you know, they just <laughs> they'll talk that way. Okay. And then they also will cluck. The mothers will cluck to the babies and that's kind oh. of a way of them getting their attention. So it's mm. a, you know, little clucking and you can cluck to them and catch their attention as well. And then mm. they have an alarm cry that they sound if they see a coyote or a strange dog or something that, mm-hmm. you know, they perceive as some sort of threat. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's uh, very interesting. Um, I know that um, I, at the outset I indicated they're, they're a docile animal, but can they be dangerous? Well, I, I don't know that docile really applies to them oh, okay. either. You know, I think the way to really think properly about, all of the camelids is they're sort of a, a non-contact animal. They're more mm. cat-like in mm. that it's all on their terms. They're not gonna come to us necessarily for a lot of petting. They're uh. not like a dog that way. And mm. yet they are more intelligent than dogs. Mm. So the best part about having any alpacas or llamas in your life is that they're not gonna bump into you or push you around or step on you by accident the way horses can or cattle or other livestock. So they respect your space and they like their space respected as well. But they wanna communicate with you. They'll come up and give you a little greeting which is their nose to your hand or a little nose to nose. So, and then they off go off and do their business. You know, Mm -hmm. they wanna interact with each other, Mm. but they are not an aggressive animal. Um, you do have to make sure they were raised properly because when you have an animal like this that relies so much on subtle communication, you know, they communicate with each other with just ear movement, a look, you know, mm-hmm. not much vocalization. So it is very, very subtle. And when people come and they over imprint on young animals, which is you know, hugging, picking them up, petting them too much. Mm. That's almost a form of bullying with Mm. camelids. So non-contact or minimal contact early on until they're about six months old is the best way to go. So then they learn how to interact normally within the herd. They learn to read each other's signals and communication. And then after that point, you know, we halter train, we can take them for walks. Um, they learn to trust us. It's probably mm-hmm. the best way to think of it. Exactly. Okay. 
Very good. I, uh, the um, question that I like to ask is, uh, do you transport them and how do you transport them when you have to? Well, with each animal has a different kind of requirement. So okay. both the llamas and alpacas can literally hop into the back of a van. Now, the pack of Acunas are a little more high-strung, you know, because mm -hmm. they're more of a hybrid, closer to what the wild ancestors were. So I would not put them in a van, but they certainly herd easily into a livestock trailer, mm -hmm. and we transport them that way. So, mm -hmm. and we don't really halt or train them. We have too many now to do that. Mm -hmm. So it is just a matter of, and they will all follow each other, so you herd them together. Gotcha. Um, where one goes, the others will follow. And mm. that makes their containment a lot easier. They're not like sheep and goats that will get out of a fence and tend to scatter. Mm -hmm. The herd wants to stay together mm -hmm. with alpacas. So it, their management is quite a bit simpler. Okay, do, do you use uh, any kind of a, a dog or anything to move them along where you want them to? You know, they're not like sheep. Not like sheep. Because yeah. we can really herd them just by walking towards the herd, oh. you know, and kind oh. of literally I snap my fingers and wave my arms a little bit and they'll move away <laughs> from me. Right. Yeah. And we've got yeah. them trained where when we're going out to pasture, I can call them and they'll follow me out to where they want to go and pretty much same to coming back. So we don't use herding dogs and, and I don't know that they would relate as well to herding dogs or respond mm. that well. They would be a little more intimidated and frightened think so. by yeah. them. But yeah. people do use a lot of livestock guard dogs. Mm. Um, we don't require them because we're not in an area that has a lot of predators or dogs that run in packs. But mm -hmm. those that do, that have to worry about bears and mountain lions or neighborhoods that don't contain their dogs very well, you can add a few Great Pyrenees or there's Akbash, Maramas, there's probably about five good breeds mm -hmm. of livestock guard dogs that are very appropriate and the animals do learn to tolerate their presence. There you go. Yeah. Well, great. I know I, I, I read uh, that when you do transport them, they tend to sit down. They <laughs> do. They're, they're quite smart that way. I mean, they don't stay agitated. The minute the trailer starts moving, yeah. they will yeah. sit down. Yeah. If we are going far enough, we need to stop for gas. Of course, they all pop up and look out the windows and see where they are. And these animals have a tremendous memory. They, mm. even with the different farm locations, mm. they do not forget their family members, their companions. You know, it, they all have a happy greeting whenever yeah. one comes back. So. Yeah. yeah, interesting. What do you call that? Uh, the cush? Is that what it's called? Cush? A cush. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They'll sit down. Okay, well, sit down, girls. Let's, let's enjoy the ride. Right, right. <laughs> that is so funny to me, but that's that's an interesting characteristic of that animal. Um, the life expectancy, well, what, what compared to, let's say, uh, from where they come from, the Indies Mountains, what, what uh, is, is there a difference? or? Well, there is, because uh, in yeah. South America, they're not really supplemented or ah, quite okay. as well as we yeah. do here. And, of course, they're susceptible to sudden snowstorms. I mean... In the place in Chile where we went to look for the pack of Acunas, at most they would have mm -hmm. a three-foot-high rock wall that they could shelter up against. So it's not like they have the nice barns that we built here. Yeah. And so, you know, the more babies can die in bad weather mm -hmm. there than we would ever experience here. 
And most of the people that have alpacas uh, and llamas and paca vicuñas, we all have, you know, shed structures or barn structures. Very few are left without access to any shelter. It just really isn't done here, you know, because they are a rather expensive livestock. So you are going to put more effort into taking care of them. Mm -hmm. Do they do they require um, um, medical care uh, to some extent? No, we yeah. actually oh. just worm and vaccinate once a year at time of shearing. Yeah. Um, occasionally, like any livestock, they can get a pneumonia easily treated yeah. by yeah. antibiotics. Um, but they don't have many health problems. They're really quite a nice, hardy, uncomplicated livestock. And of course, we do have to plan the shearing once a year. Mm -hmm. um, most domesticated animals, they do not shed their fleeces. Mm. And so it is important that you get that heavy fleece off, you know, once a year or every other year at the minimum yeah. in order to have the animal be more comfortable and healthy. Mm -hmm. Plus that's our primary product. That's why we have them is to exactly. get that fiber. Exactly. Very good. Um, let me ask you this. Um, you talk about shows. Are these registered then? You have some registered uh, alpacas? Well, Alpacas, llamas, and pacabacunas all have their own registries. Okay. And so with the pacabacunas, um, it's pretty mandatory that we DNA verify and register each animal. Mm. And they're also microchipped, so okay. we can verify identity in them. Uh, most alpacas are also microchipped and registered. And if you're going to take them to a show, they have mm. to be registered with the mm. Alpaca Owners Association. And the llamas is the, um, oh, it's, I don't think it's RMLA, but there is a llama show association mm -hmm. that most llamas are registered to. Also, I think is their organization, ALSA. Mm -hmm. Very good. Mm -hmm. Well, this has been, uh, to me, I've learned some things. I, I, uh, I, I, I've read about the alpacas and uh, I, uh, they're, they're very, in fact, they they can be very expensive too. Can you give us a range on those? Well, actually, you know, a lot of the original alpaca breeders are kind of aging out, and okay. so you can pick up herds for mm -hmm. you know a fairly affordable amount of money, mm -hmm. and sometimes you'll find them in rescue. So the price uh -huh. range would be okay. anything from free at a rescue or someone that simply wants to place their animals in a good environment because they're ready to retire because of mm. age or health issues right. to thousands of dollars. I mean, the mm. price range lately, it's not unheard of for females to go for, you know, anywhere from $2,500 up to $30,000, right? depending on the bloodline and, mm -hmm. you know, what you're looking for in an animal. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <clears throat> Well, I tell you what, you're you're one uh, amazing uh, businesswoman there, <laughs> Jane. I'm busy. <laughs> I I can well imagine. I can well imagine. I I grew up on the farm. We had livestock, but my gosh, 500 alpacas, that you know, that that'll keep you. Keep well, you busy. but basically, all we do is clean up the manure in the morning, and because yeah. it's community poop piles, that takes maybe an hour. Yeah. We put them out on pasture. We put out fresh water and hay while they're out in pasture, and then we clap our hands and call them to come running in. So it's they're not a time-intensive livestock by any means, and there's not a lot of 
um, maintenance and management that you need to do. We're fortunate here in Colorado that we don't have to do monthly injections. Um, for the animals that are back east, they're susceptible to meningeal worm, which mm. requires a monthly injection to prevent. And so they have a little bit more management to take mm. care of, but mm-hmm. far, far less than most other livestock, really. And they certainly, because they respect your space and the fact that they want to stay together in a herd, just makes it so much easier. Oh, yeah. We don't really have to go chasing them down too often. <laughs> Not nothing like cattle, I tell you that. No, much. no, not at all. <clears throat> well, that's uh, been a it's it's been a, a great uh, uh, time. I've had a great time visiting with you. I, I like I said, I've never learned uh, too as much as I did today about alpacas. And uh, I uh, want to thank you and I and I congratulate you for your business thank there. You. And um, how can my audience uh, learn more about this amazing animal, Jane? Well, I think if you we have a North American alpaca or okay. North American pack of Acuna association okay. website that you can go to. And it's spelled out North American pack of Acuna association. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you can log on that to find more about the PVs, which is the higher end, more luxury fiber that we produce. Um, the alpacas is the AOA.com, but in Colorado, we have the alpaca breeders.org which is a very good website about all the alpacas mm-hmm. in the state. So I would say there's a lot of fiber shows still, a lot of fiber artists, you know, hand weavers, spinners. Sure. So there are festivals you can attend because the most important thing is to get your hands on the fiber, yeah. to feel how light and silky and warm it is. You'll become quite a convert and quite a fiber snob once you begin <laughs> to feel much of this. So It's a good road to go down. It it really will open up your world to a lot of beautiful things. There you go. And of course you have your Facebook and how how can folks find you on Facebook? Either my name, Jane Levine, L-E-V-E-N-E, but mostly Jefferson Farms Natural Fibers is the Facebook page. And you'll see a lot of gorgeous photos and videos there and we're getting ready. Sunday, I'm moving 100 animals down to Salida. And mm-hmm. Monday, we start shearing. We shear 500. Oh, so wow. after that, I promise I'll try to update my website. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You're one busy girl. But um, I, I want to thank you for coming on your lot and parcel. It was very interesting and educational. And I wish you the best, Jane. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. The theme music has been provided by Echo Foxtone. All the opinions expressed in the podcast are opinions only and should not be relied on. We hope you will join us in supporting home and family through your monetary funding. For more information, please visit yourlotandparcel.org.